0: Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What is up, Paradigm? How are we this evening? It is so good to see you guys, both here in the Crossroads and also in Lee's Summit. Now, if you just sat through um, that bumper video, that bumper video is introducing a three week series that we're starting tonight called Reforesting. Now, if you're one of the very few 9,000 in the nation who have forestry as your full time occupation, which I'd assume that many of you do not, I, that takes some explaining, right? What does reforesting even mean? What does reforesting even mean? Reforesting is the planting of trees in an area that has been decimated by human consumption. So over the next couple of weeks we're going to be borrowing that narrative because in the Bible the Bible's using trees all over the book. But we're borrowing that narrative and that metaphor and turning it and starting to use that for what God wants to do in your heart. Tearing up the roots that have been distracted by culture and taking you back into planting, starting to plant seeds of redemption, seeds of hope, seeds of the gospel right in your heart. What does that really mean? We're going after, resending our lives on the gospel. That's the heart behind reforesting. Now, tonight, um, we are on the first part of reforesting, which means we're starting on the most important tree in entire human history, And in order to start there, I'm going to need some help. So would you guys bow your heads in prayer with me before we get started? Dear Lord, we need your help, God. We ask that you'd move in a way that only you can, God. We're so thankful for the people who have made it in here tonight, for the traveling safely on the roads all the way to get here, however far they traveled to get here tonight. I'm thankful that they've made it here, but I pray that they wouldn't have made it here in the same state that they will leave here tonight. But that your presence would sit and press upon us in a new way, in a way that it hasn't in a while, God. We're asking that you would go after new ground um, for your name in our souls tonight. And God, if there's any weakness in the prayer that I'm praying now, if there's any little bits of doubt that you wouldn't move and do more than you could, I pray that you just wipe all that away and that your power would be so clearly on display the glory of your name, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can you see this man standing right there? He is, his eyes are so filled with tears that haven't been there in years. He's looking out at an, an entire landscape, miles upon miles, of an area that he has poured his entire life into. He has his hands calloused increased and tanned by the dirt that he's dug in for decades now, and the tears pooling at the bottom of his eyelids are only a fraction of the expression of how he feels that his life work, 26 years in the making, now falling apart before his very eyes. This man, like many in his community, in 1970, started the process which would later be known as the greatest reforestation effort in the history of mankind. Started by the Chinese government to push back the Gobi Desert, this man, along with many others, committed to planting 88 billion trees by the year 2030. But as they planted, and as this man planted, and planted, and planted tree after tree, seedling at a time, seedling at a time, the pain in his back and the pain in his knees, excruciating as that might have been, paled into comparison, the pain that he felt watching the trees that he had planted in hastiness grew up quickly, now diseased, setting their progress back, one billion trees, which is the equivalent of 20 years of his labor. He's crushed. So he stands there and looks out and wonders, what do I have now? I have nothing. I share that story tonight, it's an important story because it's not just the Chinese farmer story, that now he he has lost the opportunity to see the completion of that project because he had to start from ground zero. I tell that story not only of the Chinese farmer, but I've invited two of the most familiar farmers in human history here tonight with me in this message by the name of Adam and Eve. As they stood on the edge of the Garden of Eden, having been banned from it, they looked out over what could have been, their hands shaking, their hearts sinking, could hardly even shout, though they wanted to, that they had lost everything that they had. And I wonder if here tonight, there's someone in this room right now who's struggling under the weight of just, I want to grow faster. I want to get to the place that I want to get. I want to achieve to the highest potential. I want to reach the edge of the tree line and beyond. I want to be a millionaire in my 30s. I want to have the the prettiest girl I can possibly imagine striving and straining without any sort of root structure. The story of the Chinese farmer is the story of Adam and Eve, and the story of Adam and Eve is the story of you and me. So if you're here tonight and you're like, Man, I I I, I am so tempted with this idea that I could grow and, and grow and flourish and fight and get my way up and, and achieve more and get after more and, and we fail to recognize the one thing that gets in the way. Just like the Chinese farmer recognized the hastiness in the poplar seed that they were planting, growing way too fast, leaving them susceptible to disease after disease. Adam and Eve tempted and lured into the tree of knowledge. You and me tempted to chase after that which won't last. What's the one thing, the disease that harps at the bottom of our tree? You guys know what it is? It's sin. Now, it's not just sin in general. It's really easy to articulate what sin looks like outside of this room, what sin looks like at work, what sin looks like at your coworker and your roommates. Turn to your neighbor and look, look at them and say, I think that you're sinful too. No one did it. You're sinful too. That's easy. I'm going to give you a layup. Turn to your other neighbor and say, yeah, you are too. You're sinful too. It's not about, it's not about looking at the sin outside. That's so easy to find. But what's so hard to find? the sin that sits inside of our own hearts. And so tonight we're going to be turning a mirror on ourselves and we're going to start to do the mining of reforesting that's required to building a faith that is resilient. We want resilient roots that are insulated by the preparation of slow pacing through the gospel through this text that is the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We got a span. We're living under the canopy tonight of the trees, but we're going to start the very first one, the tree of knowledge. We're going to be in the book of Genesis 2. If you have your Bibles, grab your, them and bring them out. We're going to be in Genesis 2, starting in Genesis 2. The main problem that we have is Sin. It's not just any sin. We have sin all around us. It's really easy to see sin on the news, but how are you seeing sin in yourself? Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. It's literally propping your life upon, giving all of your purpose towards something mattering to you more than God that's what sin is and that's what we're chasing down the rabbit hole of our heart tonight so genesis 1 and 2 god is doing some beautiful work in genesis 1 and 2 he is creating something beautiful you guys have heard the story before but you got the garden of eden being created and everything was called good and he continues to create and form and fashion and then he brings man into the mix And then right after man, he brings trees into the mix. And the amazing part about the fact that he created men first and then right after created trees is that he's got a plan and a purpose. It's not until the 1700s that we realize that trees are what are required for us to breathe in and breathe out every single day. And yet from the beginning of time, God had a plan and God knew what he was doing. He was purposeful and he was gonna sustain the thing that he created. So that brings us to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 15 and 17 now, 16 and 17, sorry. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Guys, this is the message of the whole Bible. It can be written on one leaf. But of the tree of of this tree, of this tree of this kind, you shall not eat. And so God has opened the expanse of the entire world at the fingertips of Adam and Eve. And yet he gave one rule, do not eat of the tree of knowledge. So if you're anything like me, you're like, well, God, why did you even include the tree of knowledge? It seems like we could have gone without that and it would have been pretty great. Why did God include the tree of knowledge? That's confusing to me. I'm like, it could have been really beautiful without the tree of knowledge. I'm sure it was. I'm gonna give you two reasons why the tree of knowledge was included in the Garden of Eden. The first, I'm gonna tell it to you through a story. So if I showed up at my house and I had a bouquet of flowers and I knocked on the front door and I asked and I, you know, I waited till, uh, of course, my kids run to the door and, they, and I would have to get through them. But the time Sydney came to the door, I handed her those flowers, and what if I said, to th- I said this to her? Um, here you go. And she says, well, oh my goodness, wow, oh, this, is so, this is so nice of you. Why did you do this? And I said, because you, I have to. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's Valentine's Day, and I was told that I have to do this, and so here I am. Here are the flowers. These are for you. I hope you like them. And then I continued to do that over and over, and everything that I did for Sydney was like, hey, I I did it because I'm supposed to. I did it because I had no other choice. I did it because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm a husband, right? And I'm supposed to do that thing, and so here you go. Here are your flowers, because that's what it is. That's why, that's the first reason why the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil exists in the garden, because love requires a choice. Sydney would be so offended if I continued to show up and continue to do acts of service for her or do things for her or live in her lane if all I did that for was just to say, I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to. God wants so much more for your life than just to do it because you're supposed to. And so out of his good and loving character, he planted this tree to give you a choice. But my favorite part, the part that has been ministering to my heart all week There's something new that I I, I realized as I was reading this and I was thinking about it. He gave us a tree to give us a choice and that's how you exercise true love. He gave us a choice. But guys, we were teed up to choose correctly. Do you see that? The Garden of Eden was beautiful. We're not talking like allergies. We're not talking rainy days. We are talking... Live trees over and over and over. Rolling hills of just trees and beautiful plants and the fruit that would flow off those trees. Then you got four rivers rushing through. It is beautiful. God created an environment like Eve to prove that no matter how great our circumstances could be, no matter how unbelievable the Garden of Eden could have been, or in your case, no matter how unbelievable your life has become, no matter how good it could get, you will always be bent towards going your own way. And so, no matter how much you think that, man, if I if I just didn't have these parents, then I would be in such a better spot, and I would be able to see that I could really trust God and really believe that He's good. If I didn't just have all of these these siblings that are just they're just such a problem, and if I didn't have this relationship, then I'd be able to stomach some of these. If I just didn't have any of these things, Adam and Eve had a perfect setup. They didn't have parent problems. They didn't even have any issues in general. They got plenty of sleep. They weren't chasing around annoying workloads. They weren't having an oppressive boss. They didn't have any of that. And yet so many of us are thinking that it's just gonna get better. If if the environment changed and it would get better and the truth be told, that is not a correct narrative because Adam and Eve, who are representatives of us in the Garden of Eden, prove it to us. God gave us an environment At the very beginning of time, so intentionally he gave us that environment. Adam and Eve, he purposed so intentionally. That environment proved that no matter how good it gets, no matter how much wishful thinking, no matter how much money you start to make and how much better your life seems to be, no matter how many meals of ramen noodles you are able to get away and start going out to eat more often, no matter how much better your life gets, you will always always, always be bent towards going your own way. Isn't that true? That's just true. That's just true of my own heart. I, I wrestle with that this week because I cannot hold back from the idea that until we continue to reforest our faith, if we want to start at ground zero, we have to understand that God is really, 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 really good And at the same time, we are always bent towards rebellion. So what's the thing that's keeping our faith from reforesting, from God doing the work of just bringing new life and strong life and resilient life back into our lives? What's the thing? What's the problem? Point number one is I am. That's the problem. It's the answer to the question, I am. We're going to continue on. We're going to jump over in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to stay here for the rest of the night. So we're going to go through Genesis chapter 3, we're going to mine through this, and then we're going to be out of here, okay? Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, may, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for, good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Have you ever paid attention to the fact that what tempted Eve wasn't the fruit? Like, have you ever realized that? I always like, I kind of always grew up and I thought it was like Snow White, like the apples were hanging off and they were really beautiful apples and like somehow there was potion in the apple that changed everything. And so the most attractive thing about the tree in general was the fruit, but that's not true. What tempted Eve was the wooing and the whispering of the serpent about the character and the goodness of God. I'm going to say that again because I feel like it didn't land. It wasn't the fruit that tempted Eden. It was the serpent whispering into your ear, telling you that God's character can be questioned, that he's not good when life is hard. So how many of you are in here tonight sitting with that, man, that, just like that lure of temptation in the side of your ear telling you, man, I don't know if I can trust this. I don't know if I, be- I, don't know if I can trust this. I don't know if I believe that he's good. I don't know. It's just that, it's not, it's not the fruit. What starts it is the just starting to woo your brain into this sedation of believing that God's goodness and God's character isn't, fit for task. And so how do we fight against that? There are six lies that will uproot your faith. This is the primary mode of the message tonight. We're going through six lies that uproot your faith. We have to start at the forest floor. So many of us want to be the flying high redwoods in the Sequoia National Park But until we get to a place like that, we have to recognize that we have to start on the forest floor. And that's tonight, six lies that uproot your faith. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the fields which the Lord God had made. Satan used the craftiest and most cunning beast strategically. Does anyone wonder why Satan didn't just use a pig? It's kind of weird. Why did he use a snake? Because isn't it true that we are so bent towards seeing the new, the novel, the crafty, the cunning, and so he used a mechanism that feeds our already insatiable hearts. We're sitting in a garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, so much newness all around and the, and the devil himself had to figure out a way to make it more compelling so he grabbed the serpent and seduced our attention and brought us into the fold. It's all it takes is just a serpent to seduce the attention, bringing us into the fold because the serpent was crafty and cunning. It's just shocking. It's clickbait. The first lie that the enemy will use to uproot your faith is that I can revolve over resist. We are constantly enticed by the talking serpent of social media comparison. And so we live in the zip code, but we expect not to pay its taxes. Do you know what I mean by that? We literally build a house, we set up shop right in the presence of social media comparison, if that's you tonight, and you expect not to start feeding on that when time goes past. Or, this this might be you tonight, unregulated entertainment. This is just revolving around something that can consume your soul. Eve had no business lingering, and yet she did. The lie that will consume you is that you can revolve and you won't get bit. The lie that will consume you is that you can revolve around unregulated entertainment, or, or, or catch this, a career that promises a beneficial identity. So many of us think we can just get, by. oh, I'm not that guy. I'm not a money hungry chasing after everything, everything that I see and trying to get rich quick, any of that. I'm not that guy, but I can revolve around those guys because hopefully if I revolve around them long enough, I'll become like them, but without their character. That is a lie. That is a lie that you can revolve instead of resist, but the, de- the devil will use that all day, but the truth be told, you have to resist. You cannot live in the same area as that person. You cannot talk to that that person if it just means revolving around something that you know is not good for you and that God says is not good for you, and yet you've made a space and a place in your heart to just kind of hang around. This lie will lead you further than you wanted to go, faster than you thought possible, and it will sabotage roots ready for reforesting. Let's get to the next one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the fields which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now this is subtle but significant. Because that last section, has God indeed said? Over the past chapter in Genesis, the authors were using Lord God. So if you're looking at an English uh, translation, the author was using, Moses was using Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. What is Lord God? The substitution in the original language is Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, Chad did such a great job explaining what Yahweh means. But Yahweh is literally the personal name of God. That is his personal name. And yet, the serpent slides in here. This is crazy. The serpent slides in here, and instead of using Yahweh, he uses Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is just a general God. It's a distant God. It's a distant deity that's not exalting a God. It's exalting just a potential God. It's not the God. It's a God. And so when he slides from Yahweh to Elohim, he goes from personal to distant. The second lie is, I am removed. There are so many people in this room tonight that if you stopped believing this lie, so much of your life would change. It's the lie that we become impersonal and we settle for impersonal relationships that God said, this random God said. And so I just have to follow this distant deity that I don't hardly know. And I'm expected to pray to this person who I've already been convinced because I've been lied to that he's not close enough so he won't hear what I have to say. And vice versa, I for sure can't hear what he's saying because he's way too impersonal for that. He's just some God. The enemy will always bring you in, and wrap you up, and grasp your roots, and convince you that you are removed from relationship with your maker. How do I know that? Because relationship, we are made, we are relational beings. And because we're relational beings, our whole society is webbed with just many relationships. There's some people in here tonight who are struggling primarily because they do not have relationships. What, ha- what happens when we have a lack of relationship in our life is we become, we become depressed, and we become disillusioned, and we become just stagnant, and we become like dissatisfied in the life that we're living so I, I can prove it to you because we have artists that are just singing the tune of, of loneliness over and over and it just creates this mix of sadness. If you didn't think I'd be quoting Billie Eilish tonight, you were wrong. Billie Eilish, what's up? Today I'm thinking about the things that are deadly, like I want to drown, like I want to end me. She says about her lyrics, no one would play my music until they, thar- they started to feel my music. Our culture is riddled with this idea that we are just so removed, so distant, so disengaged, disconnected, and we're not fully known. And so we orbit around each other with all of these devices not really being fully known, which only increases the lie that the enemy is trying to get us to believe, which the, the, the person you are on Instagram is really the only valid person there is. And if that's the only valid person that there is, then don't expect to get any deep relationship because the second they see who you really are, they won't want to be near you. You're removed. And so the horizontal removing happens so easily. But it creates in our hearts this idea that we are broken and we we are just lonely and we're depressed and we want to end ourselves. And we've started to listen to the music. Shout out to Billie Eilish, but you probably didn't think I was also going to reference Olivia Rodrigo. Shout out to Olivia Rodrigo. Let's go. I'm so insecure, I think that'll die before I drink. I'm not smart. I can't even parallel park. So much of our questioning, I know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I'm going to be honest, especially as I quote that lyric. It just doesn't, it doesn't even rhyme. I don't, I don't understand. But that's what we're listening to. These girls are like on the top of the charts, and why? Because they're singing a tune that sounds familiar to our heart, which is this disconnected, disengaged, depressed, lonely, I can't parallel park vibe, which I sometimes get. If I can't connect deeply with people I see, what would make me think I could connect deeply with a God that I can't? This is just the way that it works. You look around and you're like, I can't connect with these people. I can't connect with these people. Even though I'm looking at them in the eye, they, don't, they can't connect with me. I can't connect with them. How it works we translate our horizontal relationship to our vertical one. And so it becomes really hard. All of a sudden, we're like, I can't hardly connect. I don't know who to hang out with. No one really knows me. I will stir the pot of this lie that tells me that I'm, I am <clears throat> removed and distant and disengaged horizontally, which only as a matter of time convinces me vertically that the same thing is happening. That's not true, guys. I'm just going to be honest. That's not true. God is not some distant deity. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be near you. When's the last time you woke out of bed in the morning and just, man, God, thank you for desiring to be near me, That doesn't happen. Why? Because we're just like, well, I prayed this morning. I tried to loft it up really high so that he could get it. And the longer I spent in prayer, I'm done. You get the point, right? It's a lie. It's that I am removed. I remember this feeling so deeply. I was in college, and I went through a series of really, really deep depression. And I had very few friends. And I remember feeling this just massive sense of isolation And so I got, I picked up this book um, that I was given, Um, it was by Andrew Murray, and on the front cover, it had this tree with this, like, beautiful, like, just a a fruit all over the tree, it was called, I can't really remember the title, because I, to be honest with you, I didn't read it, but I read the first line, I'll be honest, I admit it, I didn't read it, but I did read, I opened up, and I read the first line, and you know what the first line said? In that season, when I was reading this, I couldn't stomach it, the first line said, if you feel distant from God, it's not because He moved, it's because you moved, and to be honest with you, I closed the book and I made it a coaster and I've not read it since. Because it just didn't fit with what I was feeling. What I was feeling was like, what the heck? I, 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 I feel so distant from God because I have bought this lie and that's all I'm feeding my emotions with that after a while I've fed this emotion so deeply that to hear that it could have been my fault would have crushed me. And so if you're here tonight and you're just like, man, that would crush me. I so badly want a life that is close to God, and I'm up here telling you that the lie that you're removed and you just need to figure out your way back to God, that's not the story I'm telling you. You want to figure out your way back to God, but God's right next door. There's no figuring out. I felt like that was just an entire weight that I had to somehow figure my way back up the hill to God. That's not the story. The lie is so, so ingrained in our brains that I'm just shoplifting your mind to find ways to try to draw this out in your heart. But it's so true, and it's true of me too. If there's one of these lies that I sit on most often, it's this one. So you're in good company, if that's you. Let's get on to the third lie. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Lie number three is I am restricted. What happens here is is very subtle, but I have to point it out to you. So follow me along the theological rabbit trail for a second. There's two forms of this lie in this text right here. So the first form is the negative sits front and center. Let me explain that. So is, 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 the, is Satan really uh, quoting God correctly? No, in, verse, in chapter two, verse 16 and 70, it says this. Every, of every tree of the garden, this is God, of every tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in, that, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. What did the serpent just do? He took the negative, he distorted it, and he made it the only thing that Eve can think about. The negative is sitting front and center. That happens all the time in church culture. Let's just be honest. I don't like going there because all they do is tell me the things I can't do. I don't like going there and listening to those messages and hearing those sermons because they're just telling me all the don'ts and don'ts and I can't do this and I can't do that and the don'ts in front and center. This is even, like, I, like, I'm just gonna be honest, this is even me, like, I hate being restricted. This lie is I, I am restricted, I just hate this idea. They tell me uh, on a Tuesday night that if, if if I'm standing on this stage, I have to stay here. But all I wanted to do is I just want to walk over here, and then I want to go over here, and I can't move fast enough because if the camera can't keep up, no one's gonna be able to see. All I want to do is this. I literally hate the idea of having to follow rules, which is why the speed limit is annoying because I kind of want to go, go up a little bit, and I want to keep going up a little bit. It's just annoying to me. I've been like this since when I was two. You can ask my parents. This is just how I roll. I just hate this idea. I just hate feeling restricted. And when I feel restricted, what am I most likely to do? Grow in anger and grow in bitterness and grow in rage at the person who's instilled the rule upon me. But the reason I stand here is so that so many people can hear the message. And so that people, our people in Lee Summit can also see me. And it's not distracting to you guys when I'm walking wherever I want to walk. The do for, or the don't for me was don't walk everywhere. But the do is so much greater I'd love to walk over there. I'd love to walk back there. I'd love to walk behind stage. I don't know why, I just do. But I'm told don't. But when I think, all I can think about is the don't, what what I'm missing out on is all the do's. I'm not a distraction so that you can hear the message clearly. You can see uh, me speaking so you can you can see my heart my intention my motive all the things that that allow for public speaking to happen and for, allow for the language to just cross over there's so many do's but let me just bring it closely to your house don't have premarital sex don't have don't watch porn don't live with your boyfriend or girlfriend man these are massive don'ts in our culture right especially in a room this size, you have so many people who just orbit around this, ah, I just can't, I don't, don't do that, 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 don't do that. And we are a, we are a culture that, get, if, we are, if we're not careful, we're a culture that gets consumed by this idea that we just show up and just talk about the don'ts. Don't, 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 don't do that, don't do that, and don't have sex, and don't drink, and don't, don't do drugs, and don't do all of these things because the Bible says, because the Bible says. And if we're not careful we will miss out on all of the do's. C.S. Lewis said it's like making mud pies when we have a holiday at sea awaiting us. And all we're contented to do is just make mud pies. So when we say don't, have, don't watch porn or don't have premarital sex, let's think about some do's. Do have a thriving marriage. Do have secure relationships. Do have fulfilling intimacy. It's not just about the don't, it's about the do. It's like when you have a mosquito bite and all someone tells you to do you know, is, don't itch it, don't itch it, it's gonna get worse, don't itch it, and all you wanna do, if they keep telling you, what, what do you wanna do? I wanna itch it, right? To be honest with you, I wanna itch it, but I'm not itching a mosquito bite in the delivery room as we're having our babies. Why? Because there's something so much greater happening. I don't even know where that example came from. But just think about it. There's something. There's something so much greater happening. It's the birth of our kids. And yet, if I'm so consumed with the don't, guess what I don't witness. The do that is new life. Someone needed to hear that tonight. I'll preach up here by myself if I need to. Goodness, the don't get drunk. Let's use that one for example. What's the do? I. Kid you not, we could fill an entire room with a seminar that is labeled This I Do, Learning to Be Comfortable with Yourself. Yikes. It's getting too hot in here, isn't it? <laughs> learning to be comfortable with yourself is so attractive to us, but getting over the don't to see the do is like, that's impossible for us, some of us, right? The thing that I love about preaching the gospel and the word of God is that the do's are just unbelievable. Use me as proof. If you don't know me well enough, I don't love rules. Ask our team here. I just like to break rules. I don't know why. It's just in me. But the do's in the Bible are so compelling that God is not limiting you, but leading you to more than you ever would have seen. God is a God of leading, not limiting. And until your paradigm shifts, the roots of reforesting will not take root. But there is a second form of restriction. It continues on. Eve says, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. God never said don't touch it. So Eve's over here, dripping the diesel of destructive doubt, Distorting god 's goodness, the moment you 're limiting your freedoms and yet applying it to god 's command means you have impressed upon God character He does not hold, and that is heresy. it 's just heresy, you 're just, you're just making up things. But put in really simple terms, Eve has become a legalist. she'd become legalistic, the same as the Pharisees who went out and killed Jesus. Is the same thing that is taking root in Eve when she says, when she takes the command beyond what God was calling her to, so that she could feel better about her performance and feeling like she could earn her place in the Garden of Eden, only to find out that she was just as easily seduced as the other person who was restricted because they didn't want to give, a, give up their don'ts. Right? That's the second lie. Lie number four, verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Lie number four is I can rationalize. That's the serpent's logic. I can rationalize. This is the first time the serpent blatantly interrupts and blatantly uses language that is opposite of what God has said. This is the first time the devil is so bold to contradict God's words. Rationalizing is the lie that we buy into when we can't connect logic to our feelings. Rationalizing, in fact, is when we take our logic and we just chase down our feelings, right? Okay, 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 so I'll bring it closer to home. Logic and feelings. Cyber Monday is coming up and your cart is full of all of the things that you need, for sure, for sure you need them, right? You need them, can I get an amen? Amen amen you need them let's go but the feelings sorry the logic says you can't afford the feeling says man but i need that and so logic says well i for sure can't afford that but dang i need that and so what we do we trail and we bring that logic so all the way over to our feelings and we do it in creative ways yo I'm going to be honest, especially in the Midwest. You ever walk up to a girl and say, man, I really like your shirt. And she goes, oh, don't worry. I got it on sale. <laughs> oh, this thing from Anthropology, I got this at Cargo Lago. It was 75% off with a $5 coupon. <laughs> because we can't handle the feeling like, oh, this is really expensive. I probably shouldn't have bought this anyway. It was needless. And yet the logic just drives right on over to the feeling. Is so many of us do that with our faith and with the things that God calls us to. We have such a hard time taking the rules that God has given us and the commands that God has given us and recognizing that there's a dissonance between the fact and the feelings. And so often what happens in, in this story here with Eve and what happens in our hearts is you just know it. You can literally feel it right now when you get to the place where you start to learn about what God is teaching you, and then you realize that your feelings don't really align, and you are struggling with this dichotomy, what do I do with this? Now this is where Eve slipped up, and I think that this is where most of us slip up to, is to think that we just have to get our logic all the way over to our feelings. And so how do we do that? Our culture is a mastermind at that. We make Supreme Court laws. We make tax breaks. We make tax rules. We do whatever we can. We just bring, bring, bring the logic all the way over to how we feel about something. Isn't that so true? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we do that with what we know to be true of what God says we take away the credit that God is actually good because he, we don't, he, we don't, he doesn't understand the dissonance that I feel. He doesn't understand what I feel. He doesn't understand my feelings. And so when we don't bring our logic and we just, we just kind of get on a boat and just ride it on over to our, our feelings. But here's the deal. Most of us don't give God the credit because we won't take God to God the distance between our feelings and what we know. And so I want you to try this. Next time you come up into a season of life or, or a decision that you have to make, man, I'm, I, 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 I really want to live with my boyfriend or girlfriend. But I know that God says it isn't true. But we're gonna get married, I'm sure, someday. But I, but I do know that God says, and God, what? And so what do we do? Eve did the same thing. She ran. She took the devil's bait. She took it and she ran. And when she ran, she she she, she, she flooded God's ability to allow him to bra- draw the dissonance back together. She forfeited God's opportunity to show her that yes, I'm good. And yes, I know that this is hard, but I'm good. And so trust me. And so oftentimes we think that rationalizing is the way to get those things to align but taking it to god when we feel a dissonance is our first step god i don't feel this but i want to god i trust that your word is good and i I just i just trust that you are good and so god would you just help my feelings to align with what you say is true would you help me see it as you see it would you help me see it as you want me to see it would you help me walk the path that you want me to walk would you help me to find fruit when it seems like there's just a desert here We ask God, but rationalizing is so hard to find within ourselves. And so, man, I would just encourage you to ask your community, man, where am I rationalizing? Where am I just like rationalizing my lifestyle away? I think you guys get the point. Use your resources to help you figure out where you're rationalizing. It's so, it's so, it's so prevalent in our culture. Let's get to lie number five. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows in that day you, uh, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. The lie of right now. So this lie takes in two forms. The one is low level shelf. We just live in a culture that loves the immediate, right? We live in the culture that just wants instant gratification right away. I just want it right away, right now, right now, right now. When When the devil says in that day, he's saying he's promising something that's gonna happen instantly. He's promising something right away, immediate. This is what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. This is going to be great. Right now. Right now, you get it. Right now, you get it. You want to shop for that? Right now, you can have it. On Black Friday, you can get it right now. On this deal, you can get it. On Cyber Monday, right now. And you can only get it right now. And we love the things that we can get right now. But I'm going to take it a couple notches deeper. Because because our culture just knows that we just love instant gratification. That's why we like our phones so much, right? We just love instant gratification, and when it's not our phones, it's just shopping for the thing that we can get as quick as possible, which is why I love Amazon. It's just like same-day shipping is like unbelievable. I used to remember when we would fill out the magazine when I was really little, and then you'd wait months for it to never show up. There was I was just like, the things I avoided buying as a kid, because I'm just like, it's just honestly, it's more fun to look at the picture of the magazine than to wait seven months only not to receive it. That hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's true. But here's the second layer. It's this positioning your emotional state on the roller coaster of right now. And so it's not just about instant gratification. It's just, I woke up today and it's going great. I love my life. God, you are so good. And then you woke up the next day. Oh my goodness. What happened, God? where are you? What's going on? And you ride the roller coaster of up and down, in and out. Oh, this is great. Oh my goodness, this is awful. Oh, this is sweet. Oh, this sucks. And all of a sudden you start to articulate and feel God's character. And so you just ride the wave of right now. That is not a life of faith, nor is that a life of resilient roots. That is a life that is just riding the roller coaster of right now. Whatever you feel, whenever you feel it, I feel distant from God, so I'm just going to eat that up, and I feel like I'm rationalizing. I feel like that's the right thing to do, so I'm just going to eat that up. The right now mentality will lead you nowhere fast, and yet you'll feel like you're traveling a hundred miles an hour. It's just true, and we live in these two places of the instant gratification, but the devil's also convincing Eve that you can have the right now because it feels good to have it right now. The lie, number five, you can have it right now. How do you uproot your faith? You believe that you can have it all right now. There's nothing immediate about what God calls us to besides obedience. Throughout all of scripture, God's not calling us, not right now, is, is never used by God, except when it pertains to obedience. And then finally, finally, Lie number six, verse five, for God knows in the day of you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Lie number six is I rule. It's the promise to be like God is the lure with the hidden hook. We just want to be self-made. The opportunity to rule was the thing that Eve took off that tree. And so many of us do that every single day. Who is Lord over your life? Look at that by the way you spend your time and your talent, and your treasure. I rule. We solicit alternative realities to just achieve our own desire. Why do I believe these lies? Because we do one thing with God. And that's questioning the goodness. That's point number two, questioning the goodness. Verse six So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate it. She saw it, she desired it, she took it, she shared it, she ate it. And in that moment, Adam and Eve declared themselves to be gods. Point number three is of God. And so just picture this. You are standing underneath the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the point of the message tonight. I wanted to bring you up under its shade, bring you underneath its canopy, allow you to feel the wind blowing through its leaves. I wanted you to see the bark on it. I want you to sit right up close to it so you could literally feel it because of this. I want you to picture yourself reaching up to grab the fruit on that tree like so many of us do every single day. And in the moments you're reaching up with your hand to grab that beautiful ripe fruit, I want you to think of this, the three points. I am questioning the goodness of God. In that moment, as you handle that that fruit, remind yourself of all of the lies you believe to get your arm to move up to that fruit, that temptation, that uprooting power that the enemy holds. And if you can just so, so honestly encourage you that you are questioning the goodness of the God who made you. That's the mirror behind the tree of knowledge. The tree of knowledge is just, a, just an artifact that teaches us how often we're prone to questioning the character of God. And so I brought a tree um, that I've gotten so many uh Thorns in my hand today from handling, so it hasn't been pleasant, but I did it for you guys, so you're welcome. You're welcome. I brought this tree and I'm going to put it on the table here just so you guys can all see it from the back and such. I'm going to put it in the middle so this table doesn't fall off. And so here's what happens God's built something beautiful in this tree. And over time, the devil reaches in, and he just kind of starts to wiggle you and shake you. He's got lies of, man, are, are you restricted? Yeah, I'm going to shake you a little bit for that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have to be restricted like that. And, and, and then you start to think about, I'm removed. Am I re, yeah, I'm removed. I don't have a relationship with God. And, and, and I'm revolving when I should be resisting. Yeah, maybe I should watch that thing that I have wanted to watch for a long time, even though I know it's not appropriate. And I'm, maybe, I, yeah, you're right. Let me just rationalize all the, all the lies together for a minute. Let me just do that. And then, the, and then, and then I need this right now. I kind of need this right now. Like, God, you're not good enough. I need this right now. And then the devil has you like this. And so many of you here tonight, he just rips you out of the place you were planted. And he holds you like this, and he sees your roots. You have no opportunity to grow again, but you feel, what do you feel? Like you're on top of the world. And the devil holds you up there with all these lies convincing you because he's the, he's the king of rationalizing. He's the master of revolving. He is the king of resistance. He is the Lord over every other form of lie that you can imagine. He holds you up here long enough for you to believe that you've made it. You've become your own God. This is worth everything you wanted. And then he just drops you. And this is where Adam and Eve sat at the end of the story in Genesis chapter three. And So what I want for you guys tonight is to understand that the devil is working on uprooting you, but God has a better plan for your life. God wants so much more for you than to be uprooted and taken out. and so many of us tonight are sitting on here. Look at this. Look how shameful this is. Look at this. The, the, the dirt is all over the place. And look at you. The truth is that this is all of us right now. And the devil, in one way or another, has shaken our roots and convinced us and wooed us and enticed us to question the character of God, brought us up to a high place, only to drop us just like Judas On the side of that hill, after betraying Jesus, he bought all of the lies and found himself right there. And so what's the temptation? We have a temptation to just cover it up and just to hide it. And so we grab the tarp and we try to cover it a little bit. We try to cover up the issue, just like Adam and Eve, and they grab fig leaves and they fill it up. And it looks like this now is clearly not hidden, but we think we hid it. And what do we do? We run the gamut back man, maybe if I just go back to that lie of rationalizing, it wasn't that bad. could it have been that bad? Am I that far gone? Am I that far gone? Yes, you are. You are that far gone. We're all that far gone. But the loving goodness and mercy of God, when we question his goodness, the problem is, is that he comes right back to Adam and Eve and the first thing he does is clothes them with the first sacrifice in the Bible. And after casting them out of the Garden of Eden, he already had in his mind the radical, redemptive plan to reforest what was broken through his son, Jesus. And so the picture here tonight is a picture um, of us. And when God comes back through next week, we're going to talk about how he picks it back up and he takes us back and he puts us back in the pot only this time the pot has the life-giving water that was bought for you and for me but we're not passing that tonight what we're going after tonight is we're just going to sit in the aroma of sit underneath the canopy of the forest and recognize that until we realize that we were on the floor dead in our sins and trespasses, we don't get to experience the fullness of life that comes through reforesting faith. Would you guys bow your head with me? Lord, you are so good. I just ask that you'd forgive me now for any of the steps that I've taken that have just questioned your goodness and I pray over the same for our people here. You are such a good God. And how prone are we to believe the lies that we are selling ourselves over and over again that you're not good, that this isn't good, that this isn't what you have for us. I pray that we would see in ourselves the brokenness brought by by our trees uprooted on the floor, God. I pray that you would remove, remove us from thinking that we can just figure it out next time and bring us to a place where we can trust you with your goodness and mercy towards us. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.